0: Um, You may sit down if you'd like. Um, I'm always amazed on Sunday of this weekend. Um, I definitely have a word today, but after so many things have happened in the last two hours, I feel like we're so full. And there's so many wonderful, beautiful things that just happened. Um, The children's sermon, the weeping during the goodness of God song, which destroys me when I hear it. Um, That testimony... I find it hilarious that you started by saying, this isn't a hard story, it's got a happy ending. Are you kidding me, the two of you? We're going to be talking about the Good Samaritan today and we're going to be talking about sacrifice. And I'll be really honest, the most amazing part of the story, I mean, there's some God stuff that's super amazing. My most amazing part is she waited. Like, that's my most amazing part. Like, I'm like, okay, that is so lucky. Or it's so God. I mean, it's just, that, that, that shows, like, extreme devotion. Um, so I want to thank you. Um, I think sometimes we think our story is no big deal or it's not sad. Every single person here, every single person here, has a God story. There is not one person, even if they know it or not, that doesn't have a God story because God is with every single one of us at all times. He promises it. Now, hours ago, you heard me read the Good Samaritan story, if you remember. It was a long time ago. But we know that story really, really well. And we're going to break it down a little bit this morning. Um, I believe Jesus tells the story because he is in an ongoing back and forth with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, mass death, have God in a God box. They have God in a God box and Jesus comes to destroy the God box. I promised I wouldn't talk about Debbie Dukar anymore, but I'm going to. Just for a quick second, Debbie. She has... <laughs> In her house, a sign that says, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think outside the box. I don't think inside the box. I didn't know there was a box. <laughs> <laughs> it is so Debbie, but it's also so God. There is no box. We like to put God in the God box. We sometimes call that the sanctuary. And when I bury a man, it's usually a man, who seemed to know who God was much more on the fishing boat than in the sanctuary, I simply say that God seemed to talk to Harry loudest in the fishing boat. Seemed to talk on megaphone in the silence of the fishing boat. God is everywhere. God is not just somewhere. God is everywhere. It's the omni part of God. And so I think Jesus, in his brilliance, when he is asked the question by the Pharisee, by the person of the law, I think he's really mad. But Jesus had this way of taking his anger and like, I'm not going to yell, but I'm going to tell you this story, so listen up. Here's the story. And then he tells the story, and he uses the character the Samaritan and he turns the antihero into the hero, and throughout the story, the Pharisees' blood would have been boiling. Now, this comes from Luke, or in the New Testament, the Pharisees' blood is boiling because it points back to all the division that we talked about yesterday in Genesis: the Isaac and Ishmael, the Jacob and Esau, the Joseph and the brothers, all being apart. We are still dealing with those ramifications today. We have otherness because of it. Now, today, the word Samaritan is the exact opposite of what it meant in the story. What does it mean to be a good Samaritan today? Yell it out. This is an all play. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a good Samaritan? You're a good neighbor. Is it a put down to call someone a good Samaritan? It's like a badge of honor. In Jesus' day, when he told this story, it was not that. Saying the word Samaritan, talking about a Samaritan, you might as well have said a swear word, and I'm not kidding. Jews hated, and I do use that word carefully, hated Samaritans. And so Jesus puts on a double punch to the whole thing. He tells the story. We all know it really well. The man was traveling on a dangerous road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It shouldn't really surprise us that the man was beaten on this road. It was that dangerous. It would be like going to a very dangerous part of an inner city or whatever. It should surprise us, the folks that pass him by. A priest passed him, passes him by. A Levite who comes from the tribe of the priest, they go right on their way. They cannot be bothered with the man. Anyone else had this experience? See someone on the side of the road? I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Try having pastor's kids. You preach about this stuff, and then you go to a little corner kind of by the Capitol, where a lot of begging people are, and you have 8-year-old Sully or 11-year-old Finn being like, Dad, Don't you believe what you just preached? Aren't you gonna give them any money? I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. You gotta do it. They keep, they keep you honest. They're in our midst at all times, and yet I don't wanna be bothered. If I am bothered, I might have to be in relationship with this person. The lawyer asked, Jesus, Who is my neighbor? After being dismissed and circumvented by the holy people, a Samaritan walks in. It is the Samaritan who shows the man courageous and generous hospitality of service. The words hospitality and hospital are the exact same root. It means giving our very, very best for God. And the Samaritan has this in spades. He puts the beaten man on his animal, takes him to a hotel, but he doesn't end there. He needs to get on with his day, and we get that. What does he do? He doesn't just leave him there. He gives the man a lot of money, the innkeeper a lot of money, and says, Take care of him. I will come back, and whatever you spend on him to take care of him, I will give you the money." The Samaritan serves like Jesus serves all of us with extravagant, outrageous, overflowing, courageous generosity. There are a few of you who have heard this story because I told part of the story eight years ago, but it's much different now. Eight years ago, I got to do math, but I don't want to right now. We were living in Iowa. We were in the middle of an internship, and if you remembered. When I spoke, I was talking about listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and our whole trip down to Iowa was us listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and going somewhere that, frankly, we did not want to go. But we did it anyway. We heard Jesus saying it. When we went down for the first time, Megan met my supervising pastor named Betsy. And when we got home, Megan said to me, we didn't know for sure we were moving down to Iowa, but she said to me, we're moving there. And she's like, and there's something about Betsy. She needs us. I don't know what it is, but she needs us. Eight months, eight months into us being there, she was diagnosed with stage four uterine cancer. All of the sudden, Megan's prayer, Megan's Holy Spirit nudging, Megan's dream made a ton of sense that's what it is. All I can tell you is for the next many months while Betsy almost died many times, Megan was Betsy's Samaritan. She put Betsy on an animal, brought her to the hospital, and what I mean is we lived 70 miles away from the Mayo Clinic. We lived in Decorah, Iowa. Our kids were 5 and 10, so they would go to school. Megan would drive up to the Mayo Clinic and be with Betsy because Betsy had almost no one. She was divorced and widowed and had one son who had a really busy life up in the Twin Cities and Betsy was a pastor. And Betsy had a difficult time letting the congregation pastor her, but she let Megan in. And Megan pastored her in a way that really no one else could have. And it was beautiful to see I got to tell you some really good news. I was installed as the senior pastor at Mount Calvary on November 7th, just a few months ago. Pastor Betsy was there. She died almost many times, but she was there at my installation. She made it. There is something within each one of us that has the ability to look outside ourselves and be what someone else needs at that time. And I'm g- this is gonna be bold and anyone can take me on. And I know it's sexist. This is just my experience. I've just simply seen women do it better. If you wanna take me on, I'm super fine with that. There is a gift that happens That is just incredible. And the gift that I see in mothers here is truly incredible. My mom is now 79 years old. And when I was four years old, she was 34. And it's one of my first, first memories ever. You know, like when you're four or five, they're really starting to come together. This is one of the things I sort of remember hazy. I remember when I was four years old, I was the youngest. My other brother and sister were already in school. And my dad was a school teacher. And at the time, we only had one car. We only had one car for a long, long time. And looking back, I'm like, wow, my mom walked everywhere. And I remember being at Applebaum's grocery store with my mom, which was at least six blocks away. And we got, you know, we've got the groceries and four-year-old Kyle. Just imagine this as a four-year-old with the curly hair. Okay. After about two blocks, I remember starting to whine. It was snowing, and I didn't want to walk anymore. And I remember whining to my mom, can't you just hold me? And I remember my mom somehow getting the groceries and holding me for about two more blocks, so now we're two blocks from home, six blocks, two blocks, four blocks. And I remember her saying through tears, honey, I've got to put you down. I've got to put you down. I think I was still whining, and we somehow got home. It was snowing, so I know it was winter, and I know I was four years old. What I could not have known, what I did not know, let's say it was February, in August, My mom had her first open-heart surgery in 1977, and they replaced her mitral valve. You know, now when you have, like, your mitral valve replaced, it's sort of like getting your oil changed. It's just NBD. Like, this was one of... This was, like, exploratory surgery at the time. When they saw my mom's heart, they said it was the size of a kitten ball, which is bigger than a softball. It had, like... It was working so hard. And as I was preparing this talk, I hadn't thought about that almost ever. My mom somehow carried me for two blocks. When her heart was about ready to explode the love that our parents have for us. The fact that they will do anything is so overwhelmingly amazing and beautiful. I hadn't thought about that for years and I was walking home from Trader Joe's early this week holding two bags of groceries that were a little heavy And the memory just came flooding to me that my mom had done that for me. We are called to go out of our way. But we sometimes don't want to do it because we other people. Do you know what I mean when I say we other people? We call them those people or I don't want to help someone like that. And I'm going to ask us a hard and bold question right now. And I'm going to ask us, it, it, it's going to be in the small group question. I realize fully it's a tender and bold question. I also, I mean, this goes without saying for anyone in their small group, you don't need to answer it. You might need to just answer it in the corners of your heart right now. But my question is for us today, and it's for me too, Who's your Samaritan today in 2022? Who do you other? Who do you decide is outside of the God box when there is no box? John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world, we're going to go back to that word, the world, that he gave his one and only son, That whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Greek word for the world there is panta. And it doesn't just mean the world. The Greek word is more like cosmos, universe. It is super everybody. No one's out. And we all the time decide that there's this rule or that rule or this rule or that rule. That somehow makes someone not fit into the God box. God blows up the box and says, Come to me, everyone, no exceptions. And yet I know, because I'm one with you, we're human and we have otherness in us. We have Pharisaic tendencies in us where we decide that person's not in or those people make me nuts. God could have never come for them. I need to let you fill in your own blank because I can't do it for you. I can only do it for myself, but I know I have them. Those who would take and put someone outside the kingdom of God when Jesus says the banquet table is long and wide. Remember when I started out by talking about abundance? We have an abundant God, and in the Gospels, He is showing His abundance all the time. We talked about it in our small group last night. What was Jesus' first miracle? All play. Wedding at Cana. It's a little joke I do. Megan knows about it because. Um, Whenever we're invited to a wedding, and I know it's going to be really fun, we both usually go. It's super fun. And usually at a wedding, there's wine. And usually the pastor is asked to pray. And, you know, I I pray, but I say, you know, I think there is a few denominations who didn't quite get this part. Like, this was Jesus' first miracle. He turned water into a wine at a wedding. So drink up, people. It's a party. And... Even when you get to the end, Jesus is like, this is the best wine ever. It's a symbol for the best wine ever, the best kingdom of God, that there is more than enough for everyone. The banquet table is very, very long. It's actually a table of infinity and eternity. There is no end to it. So, when we get together, think about Who's my Samaritan? Who do I keep outside of the kingdom of God when God is asking me to bring everyone in because he already has? Let's pray. Holy living God, we give you great thanks for the overabundant beauty of this day, for prayer and for testimonies of love, for songs and hearts and children, Oh, Lord God, for the fabulous 14. Oh, Lord God, for our heart that sometimes doesn't get it. That you would come to us, that you would invade us anew, that we would know that you are God. Oh, Lord God, that you would help us see that you are big beyond measure. And there is no stopping your indomitable Holy Spirit. We give you great thanks and praise. Amen.